Welcome to a Neon Jazz interview with the very talented jazz drummer Stockton Helbing. During a candid interview, he spoke about being born in St. Louis and living these days in a very music-rich Dallas, Texas. How his dream came true of learning and gigging with the musician that turned him on to jazz in the very beginning, Maynard Ferguson. He ended up touring with him as well. He's also active with the great Doc Severinsen from the old Tonight Show band. He talks about his brand new album coming out on July 8, 2014 called Handprints, and it's a keeper, along with plenty of hero talk and many other topics covered. Dig it. I'm going to start off here and ask, where were you born and raised? I was actually born in St. Louis, Missouri, although I grew up in Florence, South Carolina. I moved there in the mid-80s because my dad worked for GE Medical Systems. So I went all through school uh, in Florence, South Carolina, which is a pretty small town, about 50, 60 miles inland from Myrtle Beach. Most people know where that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I grew up there until I went to college at the University of North Texas in 1998. So did anything about either where you were born and raised have any bearing on you liking jazz, the environment, any of that play into it? Well, my, my parents really enjoyed music, although... Neither of them were jazz fans until I got into it, but I think that both of them loved music very much, and I always heard music growing up. So that was highly influential in me, just having a, a very high appreciation for music. But what really started me down the path of obsession with jazz music particularly was when I was in just the uh, beginning band program in seventh grade, and my band director uh, in this little town of Florence, South Carolina, he said, hey, everybody, I want to play for you my favorite record by my favorite musician. And it was a Maynard Ferguson album. Uh, it was Chameleon from 1975, and it was a song by Chick Corea called La Fiesta. And I had never heard anything like that before. I had never heard a piece of music that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And I didn't know anything about jazz music. I didn't know who this guy Maynard Ferguson was. I just really liked it. And that's what started me with uh, pursuing jazz music at all the local record stores, digging through the bins and finding tapes. Um, and it was particularly special for me because Maynard Ferguson was the reason I fell in love with jazz music. And then right after I graduated from North Texas, he hired me for his band and I toured the world with him for four years. So dreams really do come true. And it came true for me right out of college. Yeah, that's cool, man. I tell you what, whenever I hear about how the beginnings for jazz start for people, it's always like that. You know, you hear all kinds of music throughout your life. But when you hear that jazz album and that sound, it's it's awesome how arresting. It's a great story. Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still remember clear as as day hearing those sounds for the first time. And I also remember just this voracious hunger I had to hear it again. And I couldn't find it. It was hard. I had the special order stuff where I grew up. And I actually didn't find another Maynard Ferguson album for a couple of years. But man, when I did. And I mean, and it's that's when the bug bites you. It seems like every musician, there's that one thing that gets you, and from that point forward, you're in big trouble because you're, you're hooked on jazz. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah, Maynard is a punch to the ears, man. He's just punctual and powerful, <laughs> and it, it's good listening, that's for sure. Um, Absolutely. He very, uh, his music was uh, unadulterated fun and high energy, and I think that was why it grabbed my attention so much as a young person. Um, there wasn't a lot of subtlety to it, but I think I needed something to really slap me upside the head. And it did, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. So whenever anybody gets involved with the drums, you you have a pretty unique perspective on things. Why was it the drums? What, what, what allured you about it? Well, I always wanted to play the drums from my earliest memories of, of being a young child. And my mom claims it's her fault. Uh, she said when I was a baby, 
I would have a lot of stomach aches, and there was only one thing that she could do that would help calm me down and keep me from crying, and it was read to me this little children's book she had called The Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> so she claimed she brainwashed me into it. Nice. Um, and I think, as most people, it was just the physicality of the instrument, watching others play it, that typically draws the eyes when you see live performances of music, and I always liked that. I, always, I was into sports as a kid, and I think that I really enjoyed the physical aspects of playing the instrument, um, at, at least in the initial stages. Um, but it was something I always wanted to do. As a matter of fact, it was a bit of a point of contention with me and my parents. When it got time for formal band to start in grade school when I was a kid, my parents said, okay, well, that's going to start in a year, and we're going to let you pick whatever instrument you want, but you have to take a year of piano lessons first. And I was so upset. I was like, I don't want to play piano. I know I want to play drums. I don't need to do anything else but play drums. And my parents, very wisely and very thankfully, were very insistent, said, no, you're going to play piano for a year, and you're going to see what instrument you want to play after that, after you get some basic musical training. And even though I resented it at the time, I'm very thankful for it now. And actually, I wish they, they should have pushed me and made me take piano lessons my whole life. Absolutely. <laughs> that seems like a, a pretty common thing as well. Um, let me ask you this. What drummers do you admire the most? Oh, wow. I, I could sit here and go on for days about the drummers I love and why. Um, I'll give you my short list. The, the very first highly influential one, which is probably the true for more, most people, was Buddy Rich. Buddy Rich was was just phenomenal, both uh, from a technical aspect, but really from a musical standpoint, when you listen to some of the ways he would shape tunes. And when I was getting into Maynard Ferguson as a kid, the, the next step for a drummer is to go on to Buddy Rich's band. And so I was just obsessed with Buddy Rich as a young person. Um, but particularly... Uh, all of the, the drummers of Miles Davis back when I was younger and still fascinate me, and I hold them in just um, the highest regard for people I, I love to try to play like. And that's everyone from Silly Joe Jones, Jimmy Cobb, uh, and of course the late, great Tony Williams. Uh, Miles just had a knack for surrounding himself with absolutely stellar drummers everywhere. Everyone from Art Taylor um, to uh, even Frank Butler, who only appears on a couple cuts on Seven Steps to Heaven alongside 17-year-old Tony Williams. Um, the drummers of Miles Davis were always outstanding. And along with that, I love Art Blakey, and I love Max Roach, and I am a huge proponent of understanding the origin of the instrument. And Max Roach, Kenny Clark, Art Blakey, they were the guys who helped create and codify what we call jazz drumming now, even though we've applied new styles to it over the years, and there's been certain advancements to it. Still, it's very closely connected to what Kenny Clark and Max Roach Billy Joe Jones, all these great jazzers did late 40s, early 50s. And then there's some great modern drummers who I just, I can't believe how wonderful they sound. And at the top of my list is always Brian Blade. Brian Blade is just such a stellar musical drummer. Uh, Bill Stewart, Jeff Tane Watts, Ari Honig. I could go on for days. I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with it. And I never stop listening. I encourage all my private students to do the same. I try to every single day study drummers and learn from them, whether they be young or old, they all have something wonderful to offer. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a lot of titles, composer, arranger, producer, band leader, educator, music director, author, and entrepreneur. What do you like the best out of all of those? I love, I love just being a drummer, actually. Everything else I do has almost been an accidental uh, evolution from just really wanting to play my drums all day long. I never had a desire for many years to be a composer. I didn't even write my first tune until I was 24 years old. And I didn't even start leading my first band until I was 24. I really didn't have a desire to do that until I started spending time with Maynard Ferguson. And Maynard had 
an absolutely beautiful way of nurturing us young players and teaching us how to become our own artists. And he did it in such a way we didn't even realize he was teaching us. He, he taught by example. He taught through positivity and encouragement. And I started craving that after being around Manton for a few years. So it's ironic when I hear you read off that list of titles. It's funny to hear those things assigned to me because it all starts and it all ends with me really loving to play the drums and to play jazz music. All of those other things, I think, have been byproducts of spending a lot of time around music, and all those things have been uh, natural additions and natural components to building a career as an artist. Um, but at the end of the day, if someone said, hey, you know, what do you want to do? I would say, man, just give me some drums. I love playing drums. Absolutely. So speaking of playing drums, we're here on the 7th of July, 2014. Let's go back in your career to when it started up to today. Give me an overview of what your career has been like up to this point. Well, I, I definitely, if I had to sum it up in one word, the word would be blessed because so many opportunities have been afforded to me that really are hard to even come by these days for, for my generation, the younger generation of jazz musicians. Um, when I graduated from the University of North Texas with my, my degree in music uh, in 2003, Mayor Ferguson hired me right away, and I spent four years touring the world with him and playing for thousands and thousands of people and learning. And I, I never saw that coming, and it, it was really amazing to experience jazz festivals in Europe where you're playing for, for an audience of thousands who are all engaged in listening. I had never experienced that before. Um, and when Maynard suddenly passed in uh, August of 2006, I went from being booked two years in advance to being unemployed overnight because we, with Maynard Ferguson, we played anywhere from 200 to 250 shows a year, and it was a full-time gig, yeah. and I had nothing else going on because of those commitments. And so that was probably uh, the first real punch to the gut that I had experienced in the music business, but it was so painful at the time. It was something that was very good for me because it actually helped uh, make me really come to terms with what I wanted to do in music. What did I want to do in jazz? And what were my true career goals? And so I really focused on doing my own music with my own groups. Um, and it's just been a steady climb since then. Kind of it was a reset after Maynard passed, although things now are better than ever. Um, I, I work all around the country, both as a guest artist at universities and high schools and with performances with my own group. And then my other uh, main job that I do is I play drums for, uh, matter of fact, today's his birthday, 87-year-old Doc Severinsen um, from uh, Johnny Carson Tonight Show fame. Yeah. I play both in, in Doc's big band, and I do a lot of appearances with symphony orchestras with him. So I barely have a spare minute, and I couldn't be more thankful. Um, and I think the neatest thing about all of it, you know, nearly 10 years uh, down the road of, of being um, full bore, applying myself to being an artist, it's fresher than ever and more exciting than ever. And uh, I'm very proud of my new album um, that's coming out, Handprints, but uh, I'm just as excited to try again. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that every jazz musician, um, we look at albums as snapshots of a certain time period, and we're very proud of them, but we're always practicing and looking forward to the next opportunity. Absolutely. So talk to me about Handprints. Well, Handprints, um, shockingly, I recorded about two years ago, even though it's just coming out now. Um, it was done just in a couple days with some really close uh, friends of mine and some of my favorite musicians, and it was a very cathartic thing for me. Um, at the time, I had been doing a whole bunch of playing and touring and recording 
but I felt like a lot of the circumstances I was involved in at that time, people were uh, using me up with little appreciation for how much effort went into me trying to play my best and do my best and practice really hard. And I was, I felt at the time I wasn't really getting not even due credit, just a fair amount of credit for the work I was doing, um, whether it be not even listing me on albums I played on or um, not giving me producer credits on things I produced. So I just really felt the strong need to get some of my favorite musicians together and play jazz um, for myself and for them um, and selfishly not even worry about what others may think of it. And what evolved into that is this record, and it's uh, largely what I would call a blowing record in that there's not a lot of complicated um, arrangements and complicated song forms. Overall, they're, they're fairly simple heads where we really wanted to focus on um, our various improvisatory efforts over the top of it. And I've always been just completely amazed and obsessed with particularly John Coltrane's classic quartet and Miles Davis' second quintet, um, the various musical excursions they would go on and the chances they would take. And I wanted to take some chances, and I wanted to get guys that I trusted to take chances with that would keep me from falling on my face, which is why I got the gentleman who I got on this record. Um, and so I'm very proud of it because I think it's definitely, of all my records, it's the most improvisation-based. And uh, I, I, I fully expect some people to maybe want there to be more drum solos, but when I went into doing this record, it wasn't about necessarily a drum solo. It was just about playing drums in a way that served the music. And there are moments where I solo, but by and large, it's a group effort the entire way. And I was really just wanting to do my best to pay homage to the way Elvin Jones played with John Coltrane and the way Tony Williams uh, played play with Miles Davis, which me saying that is like saying I wanted to write a book like the Apostle Paul wrote. But um, just giving it my, my humblest and best efforts to pay homage to my favorite jazz musicians um, and you know have one foot planted firmly in the history and the past of the music and one foot planted firmly in the present of the music and what's going on now. Very cool. Speaking of the present, the past, you played with, as we've mentioned, Maynard Ferguson, Doc Severson. What do you really learn from people like that? When you're on the stage with greatness, what is it like? Well, boy, you, you hit it right on the head, first of all. It is greatness. And I think some people take for granted how hard guys like that work. The thing that I've noticed about being um, around Doc and Maynard so much is that they were always working hard. They were always searching for what's next. They were always making sure they were playing their best. And, you know, with Maynard in particular, we were doing 200, 250 shows a year. He was beat up. We were all beat up. We'd have four or five one-nighters in a row with a thousand miles in between. Wow. It didn't matter. If we hadn't slept at all, he went out there and he gave it 100%. And Maynard would stick around, and Doc does the same thing. They stick around and will sign any autograph and every autograph for anybody, even though I know they're physically exhausted. I, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm half a fraction of their age. Um, but they just really appreciated their audience. And I think they both love jazz music, and they both had amazing careers thanks to it. And I think that that, in their... Uh, later years of their careers, I was around Maynard in his later years, and I'm seeing Doc in his later years of his career, I see nothing but um, joy out of them that they're still doing what they love, and a hunger to still play better than ever, and it just, it put me in the practice room. Every time I'm around Doc Severinsen, he's practicing two, three hours a day still, wow. and it just makes me crave that practicing 
Um, because for us musicians, playing music and practicing music, it starts getting cumulative. The more we do it, the more we want to do it. It's a healthy addiction, I think. Yeah. And those guys have never stopped. They never stopped working hard um, to play their best, and it's it's made me want to do that. And it's also made me feel uh, a lot of I don't want to say well maybe responsibility for jazz music. Um, I'm a younger generation player, and I need to make sure that I play my best every single time and present music that's good and interesting and entertaining so that the, the, jazz, the music I love, jazz music, this wonderful all-American art form is eventually, I don't want to see it end up in museums or something that people talk about, something that happened. I want it to be a current, vibrant, and applicable style of music that, that young people today want to crave, even though they don't see it on television all the time or whatever they're going to have to seek it out. But I think that it's a bold, mature type of music that has a lot of validity still. I just want to do my part to make sure that we continue to keep it alive for future generations. Right on. Let me ask you this. What's the nicest thing a fan has ever said to you? Oh, wow. What a great question. Um, you know, this might seem like a strange compliment, but I used to get this a lot, particularly with Maynard Ferguson. But a lot of people would come to his shows to see us play who had never heard jazz before. And a lot of them would tell me, and I get this sometimes with my own group, they'll say, you know, I came to this concert and I'm not really a fan of jazz and didn't know anything about it, but I really enjoyed what I heard tonight. And to me, that's, that's the highest compliment when someone who's not a jazz aficionado uh, can come in and have a good time because hopefully we've converted them. Hopefully our jazz missionary work is paying off. Um, and I always strive to make jazz music the kind of music that a hypercritical, um, almost snobby jazz fan could appreciate from the technical aspect of what we're doing, all the way to someone who's never heard jazz before, hopefully could be inspired by it and take away at least a positive aesthetic from hearing it. So anytime I hear um, people who aren't what they would deem a jazz specialist or jazz aficionado, maybe don't even own a single jazz record, when they come to hear the music or hear one of my albums, and say they like it despite not being a jazz fan, I take that as a high compliment instead of, some people might take that a little sideways. Yeah. But I always feel that they're expressing their highest gratitude in the best way they know, and I always appreciate that. Nice. So who's your hero? Yeah, my hero was my dad. Uh, my father passed away uh, when I was in college, but I had a, a great relationship with my dad. And though he wasn't a musician, he was an engineer, the things he taught me have directly impacted my career in a positive way. He was a... He was a great hard worker. He was great with people. He was a great husband to my mom. He was a great father to me and my sister. And he always encouraged me in music. He used to often tell me, and it's, it's a quote that's typically attributed to Confucius, not that my father quoted Confucius on a regular basis. But my dad would always say, pick a job I love so that I don't ever feel like I'm working. And that's why I've stuck with music so much. And uh, of, of all the, I've been around some really great people, particularly some really great jazz musicians who are heroes of mine. But my ultimate hero is definitely my dad. And uh, I often try to think about him when I'm writing music and designing performances and working on producing albums and think, you know, my dad wasn't a jazz fan, but what would my dad appreciate in what I'm doing? So he's always been, always has been, still is, even that, especially now that I'm a father and have, have a son of my own, I, my dad is still my hero. So staying in that heroic kind of mind frame here, if you could go back in time and meet one jazz musician, who would it be and why? Oh, man, that's another really outstanding question. Um, well, I'm going to say, you know, I would have said Maynard Ferguson if I hadn't got the chance to know him. He was such an influence on me as a young person. 
Um, I always dreamed of knowing him and playing in his band, and I got to, which was amazing. Probably if there was another person I could have met, I would say Elvin Jones. Of all the great jazz drummers, Elvin Jones still completely captures my imagination and attention. And I never got to meet him while he was alive. I saw him a few times, and I actually had some friends of friends who said I might be able to meet him, and I never got to. Um, and I would love to talk to him, because the thing that really blew me away after I'd been listening to Elvin for a few years, was I read an interview with him. And I could not believe how articulate he was mm -hmm. when he spoke about music and when he spoke about what he did. And anyone who knows anything about Elvin, particularly in his prime, he was a behemoth of a man. He was large in stature, and the way he played the drums was so passionate. And I, I think that the, the term behemoth is what always echoes in my mind when I see him at the drums. He's just a primal force when he played the instrument, whether it be with Coltrane and that great 60s quartet, or going all the way through the 70s and 80s with his own jazz machine groups. He was just a physical force to be reckoned with. And I think typically when we see people, we stereotypically think, oh, he's a huge physical person. He probably won't be too sharp. It's kind of like our typical stereotype. Yeah. And I was floored when I heard him speak about the instrument and about his approach to the instrument. I remember getting this article and rereading it five, six times and memorizing phrases. And so if I could sit down with someone, I'd love to have sat down with Elvin Jones and just hear him talk about his career, um, going all the way back both uh, to his work with Coltrane and then the stuff before and after. I heard he had a lot of problems developing his unique style before he worked full-time with Coltrane. And I'm sure he had to face some adversity, and I'd love to hear him talk about that. Yeah. So as a teacher, what do you try to teach musicians that you play with? You know, as a teacher, I think the number one thing I try to stress with everyone is the absolute vital necessity to listen to the music. I find, particularly in the younger generations, they're more interested in the accumulation of music than the listening and study of music. They'll go download, I don't know, a hundred albums, but they won't listen to them at all. And so I, like a broken record, tell every person I work with, you have to listen to the music because... That's what our heroes did. Every single one of the jazz greats in their bio biographical information always cite one or two albums that they listened to over and over and over. And they learned every solo on their instrument, and they even listened to other people's instruments and started to mimic. And as, as the great Clark Terry always says, imitation is the first step to becoming a great musician. And if, if people skip that, you can buy all the instructional books, you can go to all the fancy universities you want, you can get all the degrees behind your name that you desire, but if you just don't listen to the music, saturate yourself in the music, you'll never play the music in the way it's meant to be played. So I am always encouraging people to listen, and I encourage them to listen to albums. That's starting to become a lost thing as well. When I was growing up, you'd listen to a record. You'd listen to this Jazz Messengers record by Art Blakey, and you knew every player, and you knew how they played, and you listened to how each musician wrestled with an entire hour's worth of musical material. You listened to how Art Blakey would handle a waltz in 3-4 versus an aggressive up-tempo swing thing versus a Latin Afro-Cuban type thing. And that was how you learned what, what they played like, how they played. They're, they're, uh, maybe for a, a better way of putting it, um, their, uh, their flavor of playing music. And you had to hear them go through different types of styles and tempi to hear that. And so I tell everyone that all the time, and sometimes people jokingly make fun of me because it's what I say every single time. But I believe it because it's helped me, and every time I'm looking for new encouragement and new motivation, whether it be to compose, to arrange, or just to play my instrument better, I go listen to the greats, and I always walk away a better person for it. Right on. 
So what, what, what's the best piece of wisdom that a musician has taught you? Oh, boy. Um, I think some of the best wisdom I've ever gotten uh, is probably something that uh, Neil Slater used to tell us at the University of North Texas. Neil Slater was the director of the One O'Clock Lab Band for many years, and he had been a piano player in New York before that. He played with Mel Lewis all the time. He was just a jobbing musician before he became an educator in North Texas. And he used to tell us, and it was a famous quote that used to hang on bulletin boards around the school, and he said, every day is an audition. And that always has resonated with me, that every time you play, you can't rest on the merits of every former performance you've done or album you've played on. You are only as good as how you play that day. And it's something that I really think about, particularly when I'm on tours that are getting lengthy and I start getting mentally fatigued. I try to tell myself, tonight, these people haven't seen what I've done the past three weeks. Tonight, I need to play my best for them because they're going to judge by what I play tonight, not what I'm going to play tomorrow or yesterday. And so that's something that's always helped me continuously get to the practice room with regularity and sincerity, and it's helped me try to write the best music I can write and play the best music I can play every single time. That's a perfect segue into my next question. Do you live with any regrets? Um... Not necessarily. I mean, I think everyone would say hindsight is twenty twenty. I mean, I, I think, uh, for instance, I, I spoke earlier about playing piano as a kid. I wish I would have kept up with piano. Or when I was at the University of North Texas getting my music education, I was not interested in composition and arranging, so I didn't take those courses. And the courses I did have to take that were required, I really slubbed them off because I wanted to creep over to my practice room and listen to the latest record I'd pick up and start playing along with it, which... At the time, I was obsessed with playing better. So um, if I had to say any regrets, I do wish that I had taken piano and arranging more seriously at a younger age because now that I'm older and I have a family and I have a career, when I want to learn those things, it's even more difficult for me to find time to educate myself. And so I wish I would have taken advantage of having more free time as a young person. Yeah. Um, but overall, I don't really have any, any regrets about anything. I mean, I, I'm very thankful for the career I've had. And what I always tell people and with dead seriousness, if, if uh, today were the last time I got to play drums professionally and perform, um, I would be so thankful for what I've gotten to do. I'm glad today isn't the last day I do that, but I'm very thankful for what I've gotten to do. Um, and I just want to share the joy that I've gotten from jazz music with others through what I play. How do you want the world to remember you? Oh, boy. Well, I, I just hope they spell my name correctly, to be honest. <laughs> That's usually... The, Number one problem, but no, in all seriousness, um, I would just hope that people remember me as someone who who played music with complete sincerity, and I hope someone who played music that was that was of a high quality. Um, I know that jazz music is art, and when we're dealing with art, we're never going to have something that everybody appreciates. We can find people who would argue about whether the Mona Lisa is beautiful or not. So to have an unrealistic view that every single person would love one of my albums or love what I do, I think is unrealistic. As my father always said, you'll never please everybody all the time. But I just hope that people will remember that the music I made and the music that I played was done with complete sincerity and uh, with the utmost um, commitment to doing it as, as excellent as possible when I was doing it. So let me ask you this. How is uh, Dallas holding up these days? <laughs> Well, that depends. Are you asking about Dallas, the city, or a really, really bad football team? Because those are two different answers. Yeah, we're, I am, unfortunately, a tortured Dallas Cowboys fan. 
So uh, yeah, we're going to stay away. I, Let's stay away from sports and 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 all of that. We'll stick to music. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good idea because it gets depressing. If yeah. I wrote music about my sports teams, it would all be depressing ballads all day long. Like, <laughs> oh man, great! You know, one one of the reasons uh, I stayed here is that it has a very vibrant music community. There's a lot of opportunities to perform. Um, I, I did go to college here, but I never thought I'd live in Dallas, Texas, not being a native Texan. But I really love it. My wife and I love it here, and uh, we're able to stay very busy. And there's a great international airport, which comes in very handy because I can get in and out of town. I can get to either coast pretty quickly. So it's been, for us, really great. Other than getting super hot, it's been great. Nice. So speaking of Central, KC tends to be kind of the hub in the middle of the country. Have you ever played here? I have, and I was just actually, before you called, I was trying to remember the last time I was there. I feel like we were in the area with Doc Severinsen within the last couple of years. I know we've been all over um, that part of the country, um, and I have a lot of good friends who live in the area and play in the area, and I hear such amazing things. Every time I get a chance to play with cats who are from Kansas City, I'm always blown away with the level of musicianship, and it's such a vibrant music community. I'm, I'm very jealous of all the great things you guys have going on. Right on. So let me ask you this. Final question. If you ran into somebody on the street and they just looked you in the eye and said, who do you think you are? How would you answer it? <laughs> <laughs> I would just say I'm a guy who likes to play jazz drums. I keep it pretty simple. Cool. Very cool. Stockton, I tell you what, you have a, by the way, you have a great jazz handle. I mean, I, when I got this album... Uh, and look down. I mean, the artwork's awesome on this, but st- oh, thanks, Stockton Helming. I mean, you got a—that's a great jazz handle. Um, <laughs> Thank you, dude. It was refreshing awesome. to talk with you. Continued success, man. Thank you, Joe. Hey, I really appreciate you giving me a chance, man. Thanks for tuning into another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest drummers around the USA, giving fans good solid jazz. And thanks to the very talented Stockton for his time and insight into his world. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. And for all things Neon Jazz, visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.